and welcome to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast from right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week and the occasional special announcement or series. You can visit vineyardchurch.us and select Springbrook from the menu to learn more about us or to access our audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. I'm going to read our scripture today. Um, It comes from Genesis 9, verses 8 through 17. And I will be reading from the NLT. Then God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants and with all the animals that were on the boat with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, every living creature on earth. Yes, I'm confirming my covenant with you. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. Then God said, I'm giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all the living creatures for all generations to come. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you and with all of the earth. When I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds, and I will remember my covenant with you and all the living creatures. Never again will the floodwaters destroy all of life. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. Then God said to Noah, Yes, this rainbow is the sign of the covenant. I am confirming with all the creatures on earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, buddy. Hi. How are you? I'm going to give us one more announcement. Ha ha. Because uh, I can, because I have a microphone. Um, but I just feel like Chris uh, forgot one. And the reason I can do this announcement is his wife is currently in kids ministry. Or she'll probably never talk to me again. But Chris is having a baby. Yeah. Woo-woo. I'm sorry. Hannah's having a baby. <laughs> so uh, if you see them, if you see Hannah, just gently be like, congrats. If you see Chris, give him a giant hug and scream. Okay. So just know their personalities. But we're really excited about that. Um, yeah, so uh, I want to pray for us before we jump in, if that's okay. I, I'm a little nervous, so I need to pray. Uh, so God, I thank you for what you have already done in this room. Um, I thank you for the last song that we sang, that, that um, your name has been declared over every situation that surrounds us. And I just... Um, I believe that's true. I pray that you would wake us up to the truth of that. After a um, strange week to to be a community member, uh, uh, difficult or or confusing or exciting, whatever it looked like, I just just, um, thank you that your name uh, existed over everything, exists over everything. Uh, And so we ask you for more of that and that you would wake us up to more of that. In these next few minutes, in your name we pray. Amen. Um, I am curious if you have moments in your life uh, where you um, made like a solemn vow or like a big promise uh, to someone at some point in your life. Like um, 
when you were a kid, this is probably specific to girls, but I don't know. Um, did you ever get half of a best friend necklace? You know what I'm talking about? Anyone? Okay, it's like a heart and it breaks in half and you get half. Um, that happened to me in the fourth grade. Uh, Christy Willicks and I promised eternal friendship um, and, and uh, gave one another this half. She gave me half of her necklace, actually. And we promised eternal friendship and it was so magical. And I, that was um, like an identity piece for me for the three days that I had it. Because on the third day, she came up and she was like, hey, so sorry, but I'm actually better friends with Bonnie Olson now. And so if you don't mind, I'm going to need to take that, that half a heart back and give it to Bonnie. And so, you know, uh, which was awkward uh, to say the least. Um, I think I lied and I was like, I, I don't have it with me. I left it at home and I just kept it in my pocket. Like, please don't, please don't take your Bridget from me. Um, uh, that's sadder than I meant it to be. <laughs> Sorry. Um, okay, here's another one. Did you ever become blood brothers with someone? Anybody? No one talking about? Okay, thank you, D. Thank you. Of course, Randy Willis did. Um, okay, I did a lot. Like, I actually very much, for all the teachers out here, I very much hope that this is no longer playground practice that you, when someone would skin their knee and then you would go, like, rub your hand and draw blood so that you could become blood brothers with someone that you barely knew and you exchange blood. Very unsanitary. This was not a time in my life that I should have been dependent on for wisdom. Um, but I did, I would become blood brothers with anybody. I remember the one time, um, <laughs> sorry if that was you, Justin. <laughs> I think we're, we're still friends. <laughs> He's laughing so hard. I was like, oh no, it was him. Um, but one time, I, uh, my, my brother and I were in our fort in the, in the backyard. And by fort, what I mean was there was this like tree line between us and the soccer fields. And there was kind of like an opening in this tree. You had to like go under the barbed wire and get to this opening. And, and, and we called it a fort because it was where we stored our trash. You know, like we just moved a bunch of stuff from indoors, outdoors. And then we just left it there and we called it a fort and went in our fort. And I'm like, listen, if we're going to keep running this fort, we're going to have to become blood brothers. So we're going to have to cut ourselves on the barbed wire. Again, wisdom. We're going to have to cut ourselves on the barbed wire, and then we're going to smush our hands together, and we'll become blood brothers, and then we can run this fort together. And my brother, who, if you know him, is the most logical of human beings, just my exact opposite as a person. And he looked at me, and he said, yeah, I'm already your brother. <laughs> like, by blood. <laughs> like we're, we're fine. And I'm like, but we could still, and he's like, we're not gonna, like, this is not, this is not, or maybe, maybe you had a promise with someone that like, um, once you both reached a certain age, you would get married. Did anybody do that? You don't want to, oh, thank you. <laughs> you know, was it with my brother? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, we'll talk about that in a private setting. Um, <laughs> but you, you make these promises, like, if I get to this age and you get to this age and we're both single, then we'll marry each other. I did that uh, with this friend of mine in high school, and, and all I have to say is I am quite glad that Daniel and I were married by the time that age came around, because you couldn't have picked a worse combo than if I had married that guy. Um, apparently, I was inspired by all TV shows and movies. Like, if somebody was making a promise, I was jumping on, and I was going to do that thing. Um, but I ask all of this and I talk about all of this because um, for the next few weeks throughout the season of Lent, uh, we're going to spend time talking about promises that God makes with his people in the scriptures. Um, and these promises are, are far bigger than the ones that I've talked about this morning. Um, uh, but th- 
they're just a, a, a bigger deal. A, 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 and we're going to use a word that's a Bible word for it that really struggles to find context in our current culture. And the Bible word uh, is covenant. So um, whether it's uh, in Hebrew or Greek, the, both of the words that um, get translated covenant really mean the exact same thing in their original language. Um, and essentially a covenant is this. A covenant means to enter a formal relational partnership in order to accomplish a goal. Uh, so covenant is, it's a formalizing of relationship. It's a declaration of relationship. And there's, and there's partnership to it. Um, part of this relationship is, order to, and is in order to accomplish something uh, that you could not or would not want to accomplish without the other party that you're asking to join you. Um, uh, the closest picture we have today is marriage, um, where two people enter, they formalize, they legalize a partnership, and, um, and they uh, go on to do something that they would not or could not be able to do uh, on their own. Um, and that, and that works, but, um, it also, in some ways, I think, uh, has caused us to somehow really like undervalue or under understand, uh, what covenant means in a biblical context, uh, because we, we still have an out on the covenant, uh, of marriage, right? And so I think in some ways it, it's, if that's our only lens through which we see covenant, then we're kind of undervaluing it or under understanding what, uh, God was doing with covenant, uh, to his people. Um, and, and the reason that we're going to talk about this, uh, we're actually going to watch a video from the Bible Project here in just a second, which if you've been around here for a while, you know that I um, either quote or basically steal so much from the Bible Project all the time. Um, and if you are ever like, I want to do a nerdy deep dive into something in the Bible, uh, they're a phenomenal resource, just the best. Um, but I, I, I want to quote Tim Mackey, who uh, is one of the, the two folks that is the Bible Project. And, um, and, and when he, and he has this quote where he's talking about the importance of the word covenant, where he's like, I'm not sure we understand it in our current context. And he talks about how important it is. Uh, and he says this, he says, covenant is one of the most important words for anyone who follows Jesus. It is a crucial way that we see the world, the way we see ourselves, and the way we see God. So uh, Tim Mackey, one of the great biblical thinkers of our day, uh, when considering the word covenant, says this is something we've undervalued significantly as a people. And he calls it one of the most important words or concepts that we can understand as Jesus followers. Covenant, he says, has much to teach us about how to see the world, how to see ourselves, and how to see God. This is a big statement. And so that's why I wanted to spend so many weeks slowly working our way through God's covenants uh, with his people. Because I think there's a lot we can learn about ourselves and about the world and particularly uh, about the nature and character of God. Who he is, uh, how he moves, uh, how he interacts with his people. And I think there's been lots of confusion. I think um, we're, we're taught that God promised certain things that he didn't promise us. And, and maybe we're undertaught things he really did promise us or our role in the connection. Um, and so biblically speaking, covenant, it is, it is crucial. It's crucial in understanding God. Um, and then later becomes incredibly significant as we look to the life and ministry of Jesus. Because Jesus, all throughout his ministry, has a tendency to frame and understand humanity and the world and God through the lens of covenant. He understands and practices covenant. Um, 
through relational partnership with God, this, uh, Jesus is always talking about this task that we're accomplishing together. It's his frame for God's kingdom uh, in the world. Uh, but I'm jumping ahead. I'm going to preach that sermon in a couple weeks. We'll stick to this one today. Um, so here's what I want to do now. I want to uh, show you this short video. Um, and um, uh, one of the things, the Bible Project, I said they're a great resource, but one of the things that they do um, is, is that they make these short five-minute videos. And they, they are so rich. They can pack more information into five minutes than um, I have ever been able to do. Um, so it, we're going to use this to jumpstart the, the, our talks over the next six weeks. So, um, Emily. If you've been around Christians, you've probably heard of the idea of having a personal relationship with God, which could mean different things in the Bible, like having God as a friend, or your father, or maybe your teacher. But there's one particular way that the Bible talks about this relationship that you find all over. But strangely, we don't talk about it that much. And that's the idea of a partnership with God. A partnership like working alongside someone to accomplish a goal together. Right. And this is actually what you see at the beginning of the Bible. God creates this good world full of all of this potential. And then God appoints these unique creatures, humans, as his partners in bringing more and more goodness out of all that potential. But the humans don't want to partner with God. They rebel and try to create a world on their own terms. And so this broken partnership is the Bible's explanation for why we're stuck in a world of corruption and injustice and the tragedy of death. It's not like there's just one or two humans who have bailed on this relationship. In the story of the Bible, everyone has abandoned the partnership with God. So what God does is select a smaller group of people out of the many. And he makes a new partnership with them called a covenant. And in a covenant, God makes promises and then in exchange asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments. And the purpose of all of this is to somehow use this covenant relationship to renew his partnership with everybody else. Now, there are actually four times in the Old Testament that we're told God initiates a covenant relationship with Noah, Abraham, the nation of Israel, and King David. And it's through these that God is forming a covenant family into which all people will eventually be invited. So let's see how these work. The first one is with Noah. So in this story, God has just brought the flood to cleanse the world of humanity's corruption. And Noah and his family are the only ones left. And so God makes a covenant with Noah saying, listen, I know that humans will continue to be evil. But despite that, I'm not going to destroy it like this again. Instead, the earth will be this reliable place for us to work together. Great. So what does Noah have to do? Nothing. And that's what's so interesting about this first covenant is that God is promising to be faithful, even though he knows humans won't be. The next time we see God make a covenant is with a man named Abraham. God chooses him, promises to bless him, give him a large family, lots of land where they can flourish. And in return, God asks Abraham to trust him and train up his family to do what is right and just. And the whole reason for this covenant is God says that somehow he's going to bring his blessing to all families of the world through this one family. So that's Abraham. The next time we see God make a covenant is when Abraham's family grows into the tribe of Israel. And this covenant is with the whole tribe. God asks them to obey a set of laws, which are these guidelines for living well as a community of God's partners. And if they do this, then God promises to bless them and that they will become a people who then represent him to the rest of humanity. That's the covenant with Israel. 
The last covenant is with King David. Yeah, the tribe of Israel has become this large nation ruled by David. And God asked David and his descendants to partner with him by leading Israel in obeying the laws and doing what is right and just. And God promises that one day, one of David's sons will come and extend God's kingdom of peace and blessing over all the nations. So those are the four covenants that God makes in order to restore his partnership with the whole world. But here's what happens. Israel breaks the covenant. They worship other gods. They allow horrible injustice. And so they lose their land and are forced off into exile. So it seems hopeless. But during this time, Israel's prophets talked about a day when God would restore these covenants in spite of Israel's failure somehow. Yeah, they called it the new covenant. And this is actually what's so interesting about Jesus is that he's introduced into this story as the one who fulfills all of these covenant relationships. We're told that he's from the family of Abraham. And so he will bring the blessings of that family to the whole world. We're told that he's the faithful Israelite who was able to truly obey the law. And we're told that he's the king from the line of David. And so he goes about extending God's kingdom of justice and peace to all. And that's really remarkable for one guy. Yeah, and what it highlights is perhaps the most surprising claim of all made about this man, that Jesus is no mere human, but rather God become human. And God did this in order to be that faithful covenant partner that we are all made to be, but have failed to be. And so through Jesus, God has opened up a way for anyone to be in a renewed partnership with him. So Jesus calls people to follow him and become part of this new covenant family. And despite their failures, Jesus is committed to making them into partners who are becoming more and more faithful. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a fully renewed world, full of goodness and peace. And there's this renewed humanity there, partnering together with God to expand the goodness of his creation. And so the end of the Bible story is really a new beginning. I know that most of y'all aren't preachers, but I cannot explain how impressive it is to sum up the entire scripture in five minutes. Like, I was just going to recap this video, and I was like, it'll take me 50. We'll just play the video and and do it. Um, So what we see uh, through that teaching is that uh, throughout the story of God, from beginning to end, uh, is a story of covenant. Covenant is all over the scriptures, and, and it has something to show us and to teach us about Uh, the nature and character of God. Um, God who is so communal and so relational that he wants to share in partnership with humanity. That's what is so interesting to me. We don't see a God in the Bible that has to partner uh, with people in order to get his things done. We see a God in the Bible who wants to. He wants to. Uh, And that's incredibly big to me. The first time that uh, we see this sort of character of God starting to brew in the Bible is in the, uh, in, in the Bible's narrative of creation. Humanity is birthed out of and into the love of God and, and communion with God. And then it's alongside human beings that God um, partners. He, he partners with Adam in, in, in the creation of human beings, in the naming of human beings. And then we see God um, out, out of this relational communal nature of his, see that Adam's lonely. And so he uh, bears another human being in order to continue that community, to give Adam a partner so he won't be alone in the garden or in his work. And then God commissions these two humans to continue the work of his creation, to 
work the ground and bring order to the ground. That together, these two um, and all of humanity after them will work the ground in flourishing. That they will partner with God and do this. It will be the work that God and humanity accomplish together. A relational partnership working toward a common goal. Um, But humans, we don't exactly hold up our end of the deal. And that relationship fractures. Uh, And rather than working toward the flourishing of creations, humans instead begin to work against it. And the first time we see that is, is early in that, um, that creation narrative when um, humanity, the humans, they eat this fruit. Um, but, but then it keeps going after that. Um, it, it continues with two brothers. We have uh, Cain and Abel. And Cain is jealous of his brother Abel. And instead of making room uh, for his brother Abel uh, to flourish, Cain kills him. And it's like the first act of murder in the scriptures. And it's this ultimate act of decreation uh, in the Bible. And then it keeps going. As the Genesis narrative continues, we see more and more of this. The next story is a man named uh, Lamech who is horrible to women. And he collects them like belongings or assets. And then he, he writes this poem. It's the weirdest poem ever where he's uh, uh, bragging about how he's more violent than Cain could ever imagine being. And as Genesis continues, it keeps getting worse from there. Like it's bad and then bad and then bad and then bad. And the partnership of, of creation and shalom and, and flourishing, it quickly deteriorates at every level. The world destroying itself, humanity destroying itself, decreating itself. And by chapter 6 in the book of Genesis, uh, we've got some absolutely bonkers stuff going on. And God starts to shorten the lifespan of humans because he's like, maybe if I make them uh, not live as long, they'll quit being so terrible to each other. Uh, and then there are some confusing creatures that we don't even have time to get to in Genesis 6. But, but at the end of chapter 6, we meet our main character, Noah, for, for our text today. Uh, Noah is actually the son of Lamech, the, the violent collector of women. Noah is a son. Um, And out of all of the world, God sees something in Noah uh, that he doesn't see in anyone else. And uh, God declares Noah is the only blameless person left on the earth. And so God comes to Noah and he tells him this plan. He says, I'm going to wipe things out and start over. It's too awful. I'm going to clear it and we're going to start again. And I'm going to do it with a flood, but I will spare your family and I will spare two of every living thing on the earth. So now I need you to go build a boat. That's my shorthand story for uh, three chapters of scripture. Um, But essentially, uh, God says, I am going to answer to the decreation of humanity with a great act of decreation in order to wrangle the chaos that has existed in the world in order to start over, to start fresh, to bring back the flourishing that humanity was meant for. And he does it. They both do. Noah builds a boat and God floods the world. And then there's Noah and his family. Uh, And then we have chapter eight, the chapter before Johnny read to us today. Uh, And in chapter eight is actually when we see the first covenant uh, on the page in scripture. Um, uh, When God declares that he's never going to destroy the earth by flood again. He says in verse 21 of chapter eight, I will never again destroy all living things as long as the earth remains. There will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. Uh, But this covenant in chapter 8 is a really interesting one um, because it is only a covenant between God and himself. It's like this silent inward covenant. He doesn't come to Noah to make the covenant in chapter 8. He makes it within himself. 
Uh, Robert Alter, who uh, wrote a commentary on the Torah, he says that, that when we study the literal wording here, what we see is God making an, an internal covenant of grief. It's this moment where we see God grieving the same way we, we saw him in chapter six when he looks at the world and everything is awful and he grieves it. We see that same grief in chapter eight when he looks at the world and sees he destroyed all of it. And he makes this internal covenant of grief that this will not happen again. Uh, the God who grieved the chaos and the destruction and the decreation of the world left in the hands of humility later seems to grieve his own work of decreation and, and inwardly promises this will not be the mode that I will operate in ever again. And so by chapter 9, uh, where we are today, God takes the inward covenant that he made in chapter 8 and he makes it public. He declares it to every living thing. God enters into formal relationship, formal partnership with Noah and every living creature that he will never, ever, ever again flood the earth. That this form of decreation will never uh, happen in this way again. Uh, this is an, a nerdy side moment for me and both of you Bible nerds in the room. Um, but in the original language, one thing that doesn't quite come through in English is uh, the verses that Johnny read. Verses 9 through 11 are, are God declaring this promise to Abraham. I won't do this again. I won't do this again. And then uh, what doesn't come through the English, in the English is when the by the time we get to verse 12, there's silence. God makes the promise, and then there's silence. It's like this, this huge promise from God, but then no response from anything alive. A frozen silence from Noah. Like Noah is so battered and so beat up and so busted by the flood that he needs something more from God. He needs more assurance that this promise is going to hold. And so at the end of verse 12, God doubles down and he says, I don't just assure you that this is true. I'm also going to give you a sign of the covenant. I'm going to make this promise and then I'm going to prove it to you over and over and over again. And I'm going to put a sign over the earth to say that I will not work in this way again. I'm entering in this partnership with you, this promise with you. And so I'll offer you a rainbow as a sign that the promise will hold true. And the rainbow will be now and forever this sign of the covenant, this promise that I will not destroy the world in this way ever again. The, the rainbow is proof that God will rescue humanity and all of creation, not destroy it. And this sign and this promise, it, it gets tested immediately. Uh, if we read the verses after where Johnny stopped today, if we read the verses right afterward. Uh, uh, Noah celebrates like the restoration of the world and he goes and plants a vineyard and then he makes wine and then he gets plastered and he does something horrible, awful, awful, awful. And God's promise holds. His promise hangs on. His promise holds true. Uh, we're gonna spend the next few weeks, as I've said, looking through covenants like this one that God uh, made with Noah. Um, and, and as we do, I hope, I think, that you'll find a through line in all of them. Uh, and it's this, these covenants come in often uh, in response to the fracturing of relationship that humanity faces with each other and with the world and with God. And God in his promise, in his covenants, is always every time moving toward his people, not away from them. Moving toward them in order to restore what's been broken, in order to restore what's been fractured. 
Like never in these moments uh, does God really need to partnership with humanity in order to get what he wants to get done. But over and over and over and over again, he longs for it. He promises it. That he chooses it. The communal, relational God chooses nearness to his people constantly and consistently no matter what. Uh, I think that we will find a God partnering with humanity not just because he has to, uh, but because he wants to. Which ultimately, and this will be wild because it will come right in time for Easter like we planned it. uh, This will all find its culmination in Jesus. Um, So here's what I want to do. I'm going to invite the band up. And we're going to spend a few minutes, we, this is a rhythm of ours every week at the Vineyard. We call it Selah. It is just like a quiet pause in the middle of a service. Um, and here's what I want to do uh, for Selah today. Uh, I want to give you a question to sit with today, but also maybe to sit with over the next uh, like six-ish weeks as we lead up to Easter. And my hope is um, that throughout this season of Lent, this question will act, uh, I have a friend who talks about how sometimes God puts, uh, or people put theological rocks in our shoes. You know, when you get a rock in your shoe that you can't get out and it just reminds you that it's there over and over and over again. My hope is that this question will become uh, like a theological rock in your shoe, something that you'll uh, wrestle with and wonder about. Um, this, this is, uh, again, a geeky side note, but uh, I was talking to a friend who um, went to synagogue during college uh, in order to try to learn the Old Testament better. And he said that the rabbis teach that um, they don't teach Noah as this like beacon, like this father of the faith, because Noah doesn't wrestle. When God says he's going to destroy the world, Noah doesn't wrestle with them. And that the word Israel, which is God's people, means to wrestle with God and that to be godly would be to wrestle, to be like, why? And, And understand. And so that's my hope that we will wrestle with this question for the next six weeks, that it will be a theological rock in our shoe that will be like, is this true? And if it's true, what does it mean? Okay. That was a big lead up to one question. Sorry. Here's a question. God could rule the world all by himself, but he desires to share his rule and partner with humanity. What does this tell us about his character? God could do everything he wants to do all by himself, but he chooses to formalize relationship with us, to communally partner with us to accomplish that task. What does that tell us about God's nature and God's character? Okay, I'm going to just pray and bless it. There'll be verses on the screen that might be helpful or not. And uh, just let you put that rock in your shoe. Okay. Uh, So, Father, thank you that you don't have to partner with us, but you choose to. And also, I think that that is a terrible idea sometimes. I wouldn't partner with me, but you do. And so I just pray, would you, would you remind us of this question? Would you, would you enter into this question and would we wrestle with you in it? Will we look at it from different angles and, and dare to wonder what it teaches us about your character? And that as we learn that, would we dare to wonder uh, what it teaches us about ourselves, about our interaction with the world? Would you send your spirit? In your name we pray. Amen.